once you get it to that professional caliber and are able to like just approach every idea from this like professional standpoint, you have commercial viability, you have polish, you've got shine, you got all that good stuff. That still doesn't mean that your song is going to convey emotion and be like resonate with people. And so sometimes having different people for different types of feedback can be really helpful for me. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with Sarek, aka Hyperbits. Sarek is a world-class producer who's produced for industry giants like Beyonce, Nick Jonas, Toad Flow, as well as being supported by some of the world's biggest artists like the Chainsmokers. Uh, his music personally has been streamed over 52 million times, but even more impressively, he's taken his knowledge and he's really been able to pass it forward and really serve and help a ton of producers to get their music streamed over a billion times on Spotify alone. And so his artists that he's worked with, his producers have worked with nearly every prominent DJ like Skrillex, David Guetta, and tons more. And so this is a guy who has personal experience being successful with his own production and also taking that knowledge and being able to, to pass it forward in a huge way. So I'm really excited to connect with them today and be able to geek out a little bit on, for anyone who's listening or watching this right now as an independent musician and or producer, what are some of the most important tips and tricks and things that they should take into account when it comes to building a successful music career and really honing their craft? Sarek, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, pumped to be here, man. And you're coming out firing. Not a you're coming right after it for the serious questions here. As far as like tips and tricks, like I actually have a mentality that I don't really believe that there's any sort of one individual thing that's going to make that big of a difference. And I actually this, this is just through my own experience. Like I when I first started making music on a computer, like I struggled so much. Like I was, I had been in bands before. So I was like, man, I know how to compose. I know how to write, but why does my stuff not sound, you know, as professional and as good as everything that I'm listening to. And uh, I got pretty lucky because one of my coworkers at the time, his college buddy is, is uh, Chris Zane, who's the producer of Passion Pit and Friendly Fires and Holy Ghost and a bunch of super big artists. And this was at the height of Passion Pit's like success. This is like 2010, 2011 or something. And so I got to connect with him and send him some of my music. And he basically was just like, dude, you know, it's okay. If I wasn't doing this for a friend, like I probably would have just listened and moved on. And I was just like, ooh, ouch, tough start. But he basically went on to say a few things that I've really embodied. And one of those was that there is no one thing. There is no one tip or trick that can make your music sound incredible. It's actually a combination of hundreds, maybe even thousands of just tiny little maneuvers and tips and tricks, I guess, that all do add up into something special. And when I thought about that, I was like, damn, he's basically saying that he's been producing for 10 years, 10 years and just starting to get like good. And I was like, wow, like maybe music production isn't about like, forcing your way into anything. It's more just about acquiring all of those little tiny details and just like letting that thing build up over time. And then through the process of finishing music, 
you start to come up with something special. That's so good. Yeah, and it, and it makes a lot of sense to you. It, it seems like this one thing that comes up a lot when I'm talking with people like you who have invested the time and honed their craft and achieved a master in something is that they're very re- like they're reluctant to talk too much about tactics or hacks or tricks because those things can be interesting and fun, but ultimately it's really usually the fundamentals. It's usually the things that are so like so normal that you just got to go deep on. And it sounds like what you're saying is that it's really a collection of a lot of things that you can pick up. It's not necessarily one or two big things that's going to really move the needle. So that being said, what would you say are some of the biggest? I, like you just brought up one of them, maybe like a misconception when it comes to, let's say that we're speaking to an artist who is here right now, who is like where you were at when you approached your friend, where you've started to get your chops together, but maybe you're still pretty early on and you're listening, you're like, yeah, I think this sounds pretty awesome. And, but at the same time, it's not, doesn't sound professional like the other things I'm listening to. What's missing? Like, how can I reach that point? What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes or challenges that you see artists struggling with when it comes to just getting started? I think a lot of people think that you can sit down, you create this idea, and maybe it doesn't match quite up to their standards or whatever. They think that they can just keep tweaking it and fiddling with it and manipulating it and spending months and months trying to change this idea or tweak this idea so that it gets to be professional. And I actually don't believe that at all. I think that what I'm a big proponent of is quantity over quality, meaning like you're going to achieve quality through quantity like i think you should be finishing a song every single week because like it's through the practice of finishing and getting into the habit of doing this like more and more often that you'll develop those professional habits and professional tendencies in the song Mm -hmm. and sometimes i feel like people like believe that artists go into this hole and then they come out with this album and that's what we're supposed to do it's no, like they're actually trying consistently and creating thousands of songs and we're just hearing the you know the 10 or 20 that get released on the album. And if I think like a good analogy or a, a good way to think about it outside of music is like what short like story writer is going to do a better job? The one who wrote one short story in the course of a year or the dude who wrote 365 short stories like every single day wrote one new story. Like I really think that at the end of that year, that person who's been practicing it every single day is going to come out a better writer than the one who just kept fiddling one like on one story the whole time. That's such a good answer. And for relief too, I feel like for <laughs> a lot of us as musicians, there's this feeling of, I don't know, perfectionism or we really want to keep tweaking or iterating on something to a point that we get sick of the song. So giving yeah. yourself permission. So, okay, like enough is enough. I'm going to put this out and keep moving on and keeping that flow going seems like something that could be yeah, a big cause, relief. Because it's like, it's not like what you, I think this, there's this misconception that like spending more time on something is going to make it better. But think about all those times when you sat down to write something and it just flowed out of you. And sometimes it happens five minutes and you're like, whoa, did I even write that? And you even have to check like the melody. Is it like, is that, I've heard this before or something. It has nothing to do with how much more time you spend on things. Like it's just, to me, it's a, it's a, I think most things in life, you can get like better and better at them the more time you spend at them. So people think that's going to be the case in music, but it's not always the case. And that doesn't mean that there isn't occasionally a moment where you need to spend more time on a song to get it right or something. But generally speaking, right, like if you come up with one idea, spending six months on that one idea isn't going to result in that much of a better 
end result than spending a week on it or two weeks or whatever. It's a great lesson. Yeah, it's like the law of diminishing returns where it's like at mm. a certain point, like the more time they spend on it, you just get diminishing returns and you might be better off doing what you're saying, like just moving on to the next one so you don't get those diminished returns. Have you heard of the, when you're talking about that quantity versus quality, there's a study that I heard at one point about a teacher who taught a pottery class and was essentially testing that exact that exact model that you're talking about, quantity versus quality. Have you heard of that study? No, I'm super fascinated about it. Yeah, so I'll give like a brief synopsis of it. But essentially, it was just a study that proved exactly what you're saying. And there's a teacher who is teaching pottery, and he had two. He split up the class into two different segments, and he had one half of the class focus the whole semester on perfecting like this one pot and just making it as like perfect of a pot as possible. They could take as much time as they wanted, and like a crazy amount of their grade was based on this one project. And then the other half. They said, create as many as possible, and we're just going to choose one at the end that, that, that we grade mm. you on the final product. And they found that the second group that did it based on quantity, it was like leaps and bounds above the other group that was just focused on perfecting that one because they made so many, they had so much practice at, at crafting yeah. these, these pots that it just turned out way better. It's probably been a year or so since I've seen that study, so I might have like <laughs> no, pushed it a little bit. But for anyone who's watching, if you could, like Google it, I bet you could find it and, and check yeah, it out. Yeah, first thing I'm first thing I'm going to do after this interview is Google this this study because that that goes right in line with what I believe and what I've experienced. And it also you, meant you casually quickly said, "Oh, it takes the pressure off." Like, like it does. Imagine just being in that class. Like, I got like nervous thinking about like this one pot. Like, what if you mess it up? What if it's just not the best starting point? Right. That first pot is just. I don't know. There, there seems to be so much more pressure in that than mm -hmm. being able to like, I don't know, just separate out how many attempts you get at. And in music, I think a lot of times people put a lot of pressure on themselves when it's like, at the end of the day, we're actually just doing this because it's fun. Like it's not, it's actually not that high pressure. We're not running into burning buildings and saving children. Like we're not doing something that's like necessary to some degree for society. And I think that like that lack of pressure is what makes music so chill and such a good time and fun. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I would love to dig a little bit more into that too, because that's something that I see a lot is people who really drag their feet and they don't like, want to mm -hmm. put out their first album, for example, because they're just yeah. waiting for the right moment. So they want to have the perfect release strategy or they think that they need to have all these things in place before they like put out their first album. But what would your advice be for someone who maybe they were, yeah, they want to pursue their music career more seriously. And they're at that stage where yeah, they want to, they want to start releasing something and they're, they're planning a new release. How would you recommend that they consider like their production and their music? What's that balance point of get quantity, like getting it out, getting out the door, just like creating as much as possible versus pulling back and thinking, okay, I do want to do this and I want to perfect my strategy. Yeah, that's a tough question because I think that at the end of the day, you can't really like, you, you can't force your music out onto the world. There does have to be some sort of a response back. I think the analogy that I've come across, I actually forget where this is from, but it's like putting something into a, like a note into a bottle out to sea. And then like, you just keep putting them out there. And then eventually they come back to you in the form of like, maybe a record deal or in the form of a concert or a gig or something but like you basically like can't release everything that you've ever created 
but you do have to find some form of way to determine what's getting the best results. And so for me, the way that I go about this is that I have a trusted, very small kind of like tight knit group of people that I can rely on for some feedback. Mm -hmm. So this is very different from hosting on forums, for example, or submitting your track to some sort of listening party or something. Um, because those people can have like a completely different agenda and don't necessarily always know what it is that like I'm even trying to accomplish or, or maybe they're just into different styles or something like that. And that doesn't mean you can't get valuable bits of feedback from individuals like that. But I, but generally speaking, I want somebody who like, who knows production, but can also step back and be like, objectively, Hey, this is like, I'm listening to the song. I'm not telling you to tweak your kick drum or something, because honestly, I've found that the mixing stuff, like once you get it to that professional caliber and are able to like just approach every idea from this like professional standpoint, you have commercial viability, you have polish, you've got shine, you got all that good stuff. That still doesn't mean that your song is going to convey emotion and be like resonate with people. And so sometimes having different people for different types of feedback can be really helpful for me. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're gonna get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now and one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. I don't know if that totally answers your question, but. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super helpful. It sounds like what you're saying is that it's really important to be intentional with who you surround yourself with and the kind of feedback that you get and to, to really curate a group that you can rely on to be able to share these things so that you can get feedback without necessarily having to put in the time, the energy, and just throw it out to everybody. And that way you can have a little bit of a filter to decide, okay, what songs do I want to lean a little bit more into and release publicly? So the follow-up question to that, because I think that's, I hear that over and over again, and I know in my own life that's been you know, one of the most important things is figuring out how to surround myself with people that 
are smarter than I am, cooler than I am, just like better than I am in whatever areas I want to improve in. It's fine to get those people and try to nudge myself next to them and connect with them. So the question is then, what would you recommend for someone who maybe they don't have a close friend or close connection yet? who is like a role model for them that they can personally connect with, but they want to, they want to start building that peer group. What are some good starting points to, to be able to start to surround themselves with the right people? I think the, the, that most things in life that are worth pursuing or doing do take time. And there isn't necessarily like a fast way to garner an incredible network, right? Or to have these reliable people in your life. I think it all starts for me, and I hope this isn't too around the bat answer, but for me, it all starts with being a genuine human and just like showing interest in other people. And if you come at somebody and say, I need feedback, I need help, I need something from you. Like my initial response is to pull back and be like, hey, I don't know you yet, man. Like chill, like why would I provide that for you. Whereas if you come at them and say, Hey, I've, I've really loved some of your music. Like I would be so amazed at learning something that you've created like that. Here's all my skill sets. Here's things that I can provide to you. I start, I'll start to listen a little bit more and I'll start to be aware of like, Hey, like this is a person that maybe I can connect with. So building a relationship like takes intention and takes that individual like touch point. There's no way to just outsource this or develop it. Uh, without being a genuine human to other people. And so it's a slow process, or it can be. And there's some things you can do to speed it up, like joining a mentorship program or finding like-minded people like in a specific community. There's lots of ways to find those communities. But I think at the end of the day, it really boils down to just being like, hey, like I want to reach out to this human being, give them love and attention, hear them out, and then you can form those relationships. as Absolutely. Yep. That's a great answer. And this is something that I hear. You know, one of the things I'm so grateful for is just having this platform where I get to connect with people like you and a ton of successful people because it's the things they start to say, there's patterns. There's patterns to success. Yeah. And one of the patterns is everyone says exactly what you're talking about is that you have to show up and just and focus on providing value and serving. And the, it's not necessarily the thing that comes intuitively because as humans, it's easy to think about ourselves and think about me and what can I take from this? What can I get from this? But if you can flip the script and you can really think about the other person and what do they find valuable and how can I serve them and how can I provide value, then it sounds like what you're saying. That's really the best way to approach building a relationship. It's not necessarily like a quick an easy type of thing, but if you just show up and be a genuine person and focus on providing value, then it does t- tend to come back to you over time. Yeah, totally. You do you do a great job of summarizing my answers with better vocabulary and more articulate. You know, it's good, it's good stuff. No, it's great. I can just be a mirror and just uh, yeah, just refresh what exactly what you're saying. But awesome. In terms of in terms of the question of yeah, it, it seems like one thing that you've honed your crap. You really you've invested the time and the energy to be able to become incredibly skilled in in your domain and having invested that time, you've also brought up how it is possible to spend less time and get better results if you're focused on doing the things like in that, in the smaller time that lead to greater results as well. So I guess I'm curious in terms of the main goal of creating high quality music and improving my production, of course it is, there's not necessarily a hack where it's like tomorrow you're going to wake up, just be amazing. But I'm curious what you think are really some of the best habits or like what do you think are the things that are big time savers that someone who's listening to this right now 
One person could spend 20 years trying to do this and they wouldn't be successful. But if this other person really put their head down and just focused on doing X, Y, Z, it might take a fraction of the time. What do you think are some of those habits that are worth pursuing? I think that deadlines are one of the most underrated and it's a very simplistic answer, but how many people actually treat music production like a job with firm deadlines with accountability? There's something about, okay, you give yourself an arbitrary deadline and then you don't meet it and there's no repercussions. Mm. And then you're less likely to stick to that. But if you join an accountability group of some sort or have another buddy in which you're just meeting once a week to share music or something, you're like, you have a habit of, of getting those deadlines actually met. I feel like that really, really just help you grow and help you get better faster. And it's not just about like meeting those deadlines. It's actually like taking feedback and then implementing it and trying to improve each time that you sit down doing something. It doesn't necessarily have to be focusing on all the different things all at once. Like, hey, if you're working on a tra track every week, like maybe this song, you focus a little bit more on sound design. Maybe the next one you focus a little bit more on, I don't know, manipulating LFOs or something. And then the next week you finish or you just focus on the mastering section or the mix. But you don't have to do all of these things at once, but over time they will start to add up into something as long as you are getting like getting feedback and then implementing it and trying to improve each week. So deadlines and accountability is probably like the thing that jumps out at me most. But the other thing that jumps out at me is just like this idea that you don't need to do everything from scratch. And I'm sure that a lot of people have, I don't know, come onto this podcast and just talked about how like the samples exist for a reason. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it, like with using them. It's like guitarists don't try to reinvent guitars every time they use them. And so why do music producers, like electronic music producers, try to feel the need to like invent a new sound every single time they like sit down. It just, yeah, it just seems a little unnecessary. And yeah, I just think that on the, uh, on the sample front and on the sound design front, like you can use sounds that exist. You can even steal chord progressions, right? You can even, you can borrow tons of information from people and it'll still be yours. It'll still be at the end of the day, something that's unique to you, as long as you're manipul manipulating it, tweaking it, and I think a lot of this stuff comes from Austin Kleon's Steal Like an Artist, one of the most like impactful books I've ever read. It just put into words that everything is a remix. There is no such thing as an original idea. And if you do want to get original, like you can, you know, just study your influencers, right? Like the people, if you love an artist, like who influenced him? And then you start looking at it and you're like, wow, there's eight different artists here that I didn't even know. And you start borrowing a little bit from all these different guys and it formulates your sound. But yeah, this idea that you have to recreate the wheel or whatever that expression is each time like is just so unnecessary. That's super helpful. And it's, it's interesting because what you just talked about goes along with a book that I just finished reading by this guy, uh, Spinoza. And he had a book called Ethics. And this is like a book from like the 1700s. So it was pretty dense and it was <laughs> nice. hard to get You're through. Deep. Albert Einstein was like, he famously, when he was asked about his religious beliefs, he said, I believe in the God of Spinoza. And Spinoza is like a philosopher. And But the bottom line is that one of his main takeaways in the book was that everything has a cause. Everything was in that the cause also has a cause and there's this infinite chain of causes. And so it's as humans, like we're really good at creating stories or explaining things that we don't understand the causes of. Like when we didn't understand the, the sun, we were like, oh, there's Hermes would carry the sun across. So we're good at creating these stories. 
But ultimately, yeah, everything has a cause. So to your point about influences, as artists, we feel like we need to create something totally new and original that's never existed before. But the truth is that we don't live in a vacuum. Like we live as a part of nature and a part of the universe and everything who we are is because of our parents, because of our culture and society, and there are causes to everything. And so it really is true that you don't have to create something new that exists outside the bounds of, you know, of life as we know it, but you can take these different things and recreate them. You can take two different parties and have a baby together and create something new from that baby that's both the other things, but it's also something new as a baby. And it takes a lot of pressure off because maybe you can have a little bit more freedom to play and just explore, oh, I love that idea. I'm going to do something like that in, in my own. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that opens the door for me into like things like predeterminism and all sorts of like concepts that probably can not talk about on this podcast today, but it does, it does open the door to a lot of different things. And actually, I, I, there's this quote that I think this is relevant, but one of my former students who is like my, my go-to human being for, for like all things spiritual, like he's like the first person I reach out to. He's just like a spiritually brilliant and like woke person. His name is Ashish. His artist project's called Shishi, but he just posted this on his Instagram the other day and he just wrote, People allow every passing thought or emotion to influence their behavior with no investigation and call it being authentic. Believing every story your mind creates is not authenticity, it's disassociation. Real authenticity is the silent presence underneath all of our stories. Just Oof. hinting at, right? It's, it's a good one, but he's getting out. Yeah, like we, we assign stories to so many things and it, we don't need to do that. And if you just look at the music process as like this non, like this judgment-free zone, you can have a lot of fun and play with a lot of different avenues and it's just so much lighter and less serious that way. I, I don't know. I hope that makes sense, but I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> it totally makes sense. I feel like I might have to go follow your friend because that quote was <laughs> like, dang, man, I got goosebumps. Awesome. Gosh, where can we go from here? So I guess what are some other things that you found that maybe along the lines of what we just talked about, there are stories or beliefs that people might have that, that you see coming up that are maybe are misconceptions or things that are holding them back when it comes to being quote unquote, quote unquote authentic or really like expressing themselves and having fun in a way that allows them to also move towards their goals. Like what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles or mistakes that are making? I feel like a lot of people claim to be open to feedback but actually aren't and they get very defensive and feel like it's attacking their ego again this isn't everybody there's just i've just seen a lot of this where you try to be helpful and you try to offer feedback and then somebody gets like super almost like angry or defensive and that doesn't mean that that you also have to listen to all feedback like you can totally just ignore it sometimes but truly being open to receiving this information is completely different than being guarded and like uptight and even just talking about these different kind of states right convey a completely different emotion and i think yeah if you can come into to making music with this like curiosity this like less sense of self almost like this ego like not driving the decision making and just like a lot of times i think the music answers things for me. I don't, I don't always create stuff in my head and then try to like get it out. Like sometimes I just play with sounds and then it does the talking for me. It does like the writing for me in a way. We've all had those happy accidents from making music where it's just, you accidentally moved something or played the wrong chord and you're like, whoa, like 
that was way better than what I was going to come up with. So who came up with that? And it was an accident, right? So did you come up with it or did it just exist and you just happen to stumble on it? I feel like the music does give you a lot of the answers if you just focus on that and let it come to you. That's so true. And it's something that you hear a lot from the greatest creators of all time is that when they're really in the flow, it's almost like they just have to get out of their own way. It's like they're plugged yeah. in, they're like channeling something greater than them. And it's just coming through them. And it's a state of being plugged in and being connected. So it sounds like what you're saying is that we can get in our own way sometimes and overthink things. And if you allow yourself totally. to show up and have fun with it and let it happen through, even if there's a mistake or something, you can play with it. Super, super helpful. One thing that you mentioned brought up a question around this idea of getting feedback, getting feedback and knowing how to digest that feedback in a way that's productive. And that can be such a challenge for all of us because we're humans and especially our music, it can feel like it's so personal and it's about who we are. And so if someone says, I don't like that, or it's not good, we're like, can take that internally say, I'm not good enough for it. And so it makes sense that we can get defensive of it. But at the same time, that's how we learn and grow is through that kind of feedback. So I guess when it comes to using feedback in a way that's constructive, what, how would you recommend that someone, someone does take feedback? Because there's different kinds of feedback too, right? There might be, I don't know, a troll or someone like that. Like, you suck. Like, your music's terrible. I don't like you. And then there might be some really high quality feedback from a successful role model or like a mentor or someone that you might want to take a little bit more seriously. So how would you recommend building a practice of intentionally like getting the right kinds of feedback and knowing when it's a good kind of feedback and when it's not the right kind of feedback? Yeah, I have some tough questions here. I think that search is something that we're always going to be like having to be conscious of. I don't know if there is necessarily always a correct answer. I'm definitely the trolls. I think we, first of all, just on the internet, right? When enough people exist at something, there's always just going to be slightly crazy people or just haters for whatever reason. I think we all know intuitively to ignore that. But I think when it comes from a place of going back to my earlier point about like being genuine, right? Like when you get feedback that feels like somebody took the time and really is trying to offer you some sort of wisdom or took the time, really was careful with their words, right? Like I think we all have some sort of intuitive sense of, hey, that's the type of stuff that I want to surround myself with. And then we've all had that this dismissive feedback where it's like, hey, yeah, it's good, man, but it wasn't digging this section. It's, if somebody didn't put enough, if that much effort into feedback, then like, why would I listen to that to begin with? Also doesn't mean that you can't have, you can't pick up on trends if you do open it up to a lot of people and still take that into account. But generally speaking, I do believe that we have this intuitive sense and not just in feedback, this kind of goes more almost into like human connection and relationships. Do you feel good? listening to this person? Do you feel good talking to them? And that's been my sort of almost like metric for navigating relationships in life. Like all types of relationships is like, Hey, after I speak to you and spend time with you, do I feel better or do I feel worse? And if I feel worse, like I'm not going to surround myself with that person. It seems to have gotten me into some pretty, pretty good networks of humans. That's like my guiding principle. It's a great lesson. It's, it's great too that it's so simple, but it's also something that it, just, it takes awareness or it takes consciousness to, to stay focused on how am I really feeling after talking to this person. And it's almost insane 
to not separate yourself away from people who bring you down or who you don't feel good after you connect with them or they're toxic in some way. But obviously there's, it's not always that easy to like, people are in like abusive relationships or in some sort of toxic relationship. Sometimes they feel like they yeah. get something out of it. So maybe we could talk a little bit. I know before when we were kind of in the green room before we started this, we talked a little bit about health and about your cold plunges that you were doing and whatnot. And yeah, I think that that kind of stuff is really kind of at the foundation of how we feel as human beings and you know, how we are able to relate with other people as well is a lot of times if we're not sleeping well or eating well or just physically like we're not taking care of ourselves then that that comes across and we just don't feel very good so maybe we can talk a little bit about this fundamental piece to it that's really about just being a healthy overall human and how that plays into your craft and your music and everything else. I know it's not necessarily what we, uh, you're probably expecting coming yeah, into this. No, but, but let's I'll, try I'll, to, let, let, let me see if I can speak to that a little bit. And I'd honestly, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it too. But I think that a lot of artists have a little bit of that like self-destructive mentality. And then there's this weird belief that you have to be miserable to like create like real art or that things are going to pour out of you when you're a little bit more like broken or in pain mm. or something. And mm. I don't subscribe to that at all. I find that, that, and that's not to say that when you're like heartbroken or something's wrong with like in your life that you can't pour out that emotion into a song, but I think you can still tap into that stuff. Even when you're in a healthy state, if you have even a little bit of empathy and understanding of like where all of that stuff came from. And so for me, my, my, my health practices come first before anything because I can't show up as an artist or as an instructor or a business owner or even to my friend unless I'm operating at close to my optimal level. Like the worst version of me who's tired and didn't sleep well and isn't exercising, like that version sucks. Sometimes I'm pretty irritable. It's just not like you don't, I don't think most people want to be around that version of me. So I try to optimize my life as much as I can so I can show up for other people. And uh, the cold plunge is like a little bit of just, uh, I think, yeah, there are some physical benefits to it for sure, but it like, and it invigorates you, it wakes you up. It's really exciting to get like in there and get out of there. And it's very challenging, but that I think the coolest benefit to something like a cold plunge or cold exposure in general is that you're training your mind to stay and fight. So if you have any sort of tendencies to be a little bit more of a fight or flight uh, like on the flight side of things, you run away from issues or you try to avoid things. Like when you get into that cold plunge and it's set at 38 degrees and you're just sitting there, like it is excruciatingly awful, honestly. Like it doesn't feel good in the moment, but you're training your mind and your brain to say, hey, like I am, I got this, I'm going to stay here. And you actually build a little bit more like resistance and and strength, I think. And it is starting to, I've been doing this for about six to eight months or something along those lines, like fairly consistently trying to go every day, but it probably ends up being like four to five days a week. It's funneling into other aspects of my life where I can feel myself being a little bit more confident. I can feel myself showing up a little bit more and, and fighting in those other circumstances. That's super interesting. Yeah. So there's both kind of that mental, the mental benefit of doing it and building, it's almost like weight training for your mind, for your mental muscle to like to yeah. show up and to lean into the discomfort. But at the same time, it's not like just discomfort for discomfort's sake, but there, there actually is like health benefit 
benefits. There's a lot of studies that are going around to just like how physically this actually invigorates our body. It makes us healthy. I find that super, super interesting. I would I'd love to hear like how you, what you got to like get that rig at your home. But I also want to speak to that point that you brought up that I think is so relevant for a lot of musicians is this feeling that the, that those negative emotions or those feelings that those are necessary in order to create the art and create high quality art that we need to be broken to, to do that. Cause that's just toxic of a belief to have. <laughs> if you believe that, then, you know, you're going, you're going to hold on to that stuff and it's going to be like resistant to, to let it go. And that's not going to re- truly benefit you or the world, right? If you're holding on to that. And the truth is you can create amazing music from there or you can create amazing music like from being joyful and happy it's just the different the music that you create is going to come out differently maybe you'll be sad and depressed and like the in sad music if you're not feeling good how many examples are there of amazing musicians and artists that are creating from a state of pure joy what a wonderful world it's one of the greatest songs of, of all time and i remember when i had my first kid and hold them in my in my arms and that song like suddenly clicked into gear for me and there's just there's so much joy and love that came out of it and you know there's just different frequencies there's different frequencies of creation that you can have and the truth is that you can create amazing music regardless of what your like your frequency you're at it's, but it's just more of a difference of how you feel personally and in your relationships what you're bringing to the world and even like your music has these ripple effects and it influences other people. You're literally like, you're sharing, these, you're creating this ripple effect with your songs. So it is interesting how if you do that inner work that you're like you're talking about and you're able to heal and you'll come, you and just become a healthier person overall, not only does that help you, but your music that comes out and the expression that you make, that actually is going to ripple out to all of your audience and to your, your close connections and, and everyone too. So it's a pretty powerful yeah. thing to focus on. Yeah, totally. And thank you for sharing all of that. Even like that moment about like your first son or first kid. I I felt that. Like I felt that that love and like that excitement. And even something as simple as taking care of your kid, it's you can do a much better job if you take care of yourself first. It's like that uh, oxygen mask analogy, right? In the airplanes, right? Like you put it on yourself first, and then you can help whoever. But yeah, it doesn't change the fact that it's a never-ending struggle, a never-ending battle to keep your head up, to stay positive. It's I think Winston Churchill, I believe, said something along the lines of, I'm an optimist because I see there to be no reason to be otherwise or something along those lines. I, I, if I had to choose, I'm going to choose to be happy every every chance I get. Um, and yeah, I think as artists, like we're already a little bit more emotional. We're already a little bit probably more sensitive. That's probably why we're drawn to art to begin with. So I think it, it holds more true for artists maybe than like I could have ever even imagined when I really thought about it. That's so good. Yeah, that's that that idea that was it Henry Ford or there's someone said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And, and the idea that you get mm-hmm. to choose your beliefs and you get to choose whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. You can choose what you believe in. But whether you think you can or you think you can't, like it's going to ultimately change how you show up and what you do. So reclaiming the ability to decide what our narrative is and reframe things seems like something that is really like the root of being able to create like real change in your own life is reframing who you are and being able to step into that. Yeah. I love that, man. That's well said. <laughs> cool. Anyways, so this conversation definitely got, went down a little bit of a different route that I was thinking, but I geek out about this stuff. This is, and this is something that a lot of the people that I connect with that are my mentors and the people that I look up to and the most successful people that I know. It seems like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is a part of what made them great is them is really being able to focus on the core kind of inner work and how that 
how that ripples out. So I appreciate you uh, geeking out with me and going down some of those paths and let's uh, get ready to wrap up the interview for today. Sarek, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and for doing what you do just in general. I think that it's one thing to achieve success yourself, which is awesome. And it's, you're able to make a huge impact doing that, but then also having the the generosity to take what you learned and be able to create an even bigger ripple effect by helping other people to make that same kind of an impact. It's pretty, pretty dang cool. Thank you for doing what you do. And for anyone who's listening or watching this right now, who is interested in learning more and maybe improving their production or learning more about you know, the communities that, that you've built and what you offer, what's the best place for them to go to dive deeper? Yeah, we run the Hyperbits Masterclass, which is essentially a lifetime mentorship program. It's pretty intensive. It offers a lot. But what I would recommend doing is actually just going to hyperbits.com slash free. And we have all sorts of just like free resources, right? So PDFs, learning tools, sample packs, workshops, like long form workshops where we go deep into very specific topics. Uh, that you can just check out for free. And if things resonate with you, and if you have questions, just hit me up at Sarek at hyperbits.com. And uh, yeah, feel free to contact us at any time. And if there's anything we can do with your, to help your music and to help you gain that maybe like last 30%, 20% of professionalism, if you're struggling with that specifically, that's probably the thing that I think we do more so than anything. So yeah, just feel free to reach out and uh, hopefully we can help. Awesome. Yep. So like always, we'll put the links in the show notes for everything for easy access. And Sarek, thanks again so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. This is great. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.